It's Aspen Ideas to Go from the Aspen Institute. I'm Trisha Johnson. As the Russian attack on Ukraine continues, reporters bring us more and more heart-wrenching stories and images of the suffering caused by the conflict. The scale of the damage can feel overwhelming, but zooming in on a first-hand account can sometimes help us process the impact and ground us in what's happening in the region. We understand that Putin will not stop. He just saying Ukraine shouldn't exist, but we are, we exist, we develop, we, we have big ideas, we want to build a good society in this earth, we want to change this world for the better place. And we will not allow one person to, to, to decide whether a nation should exist or not. Yulia Tyshkivska escaped from Ukraine with her three children, traveling through at least six countries before finding some temporary stability. Her husband is still back home, fighting in the war as a soldier. Tyshkivska is a longtime activist and the executive director of Aspen Institute Kyiv. Aspen Ideas to Go brings you compelling conversations hosted by the Aspen Institute. Today's discussion is from the Aspen Ideas Festival. Tyshkivska spoke with the Aspen Institute's Elliot Gerson about her harrowing experience and her hopes for Ukraine's future. The event was held on Tuesday, June 28th. Here's Gerson. So, Louis, Yulia, first tell us, uh, bring us back to uh, the beginning of this war. I, I remember being on a Zoom call with uh, uh, your senior staff and other trustees of the Institute at a time maybe a week or two before the invasion where, frankly, we all th- thought outside of the country that there wasn't going to be that there was going to be an invasion, and I think you still felt no, it really can't happen. But take us back to when you realized that this was really going to be a war. Thank you, Elliot. Thank you for your generous introduction. Um, I feel I feel really honored to be here with you today, and it's really hard to talk about like this personal aspect about the war because you know. We were living like normal life. We had our life settled, you know, 21st century, technology, innovations, big issues. So we were like, like all of you, living our lives, having like schools, nurseries, kindergartens, um, thinking about big ideas. And then, as Alad mentioned, one day everything changed. And um, my family, uh, thanks to our chair of the board, Natalie Giresco, we were more prepared to this invasion. She, Natalie, she, she, she pushed me like almost physically through Zoom that you have to leave Kiev like a week before invasion state started, like this uh, full-scale full invasion started. So we were in Lviv with my family. My husband, um, without me knowing that, he, 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 he collected uh, all family important uh, things like uh, uh, some pieces of uh, our family history, our pictures of uh, kids being like when they were born, and he had like some important paintings. He, 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 he packed it all. I was not aware of that. So we were in Lviv. When, uh, Lviv is a city, as most of you know, we all know Ukrainian maps now, on yeah. the western side of the, of the country, close to the Polish border where so, people thought they could be safe. Yeah, we thought we could be safe there. So we, we heard this air raid sirens, which is a very unpleasant voice, like sound. And uh, we came out to the main square of the Lviv city, and we, like, I really felt like I'm in a Second World War movie. Just uh, no people around, 
sirens are so loud. My kids started to cry. And my like middle uh, Anna, uh, she's four years old. She was so stressed. Like she started like she started crying. Like I don't want the Russians to kill us. I don't want to be dead. I like, and I don't know how she knew that. Like wh why the things came out to her mind. And my older boy, he started to pray. He's like Anna, stop crying. Let's pray together. You know. And I like I just saw them, and I was like I can't cry. I need to mobilize because I'm a mom first now. So that's how we like went to our car and we left the city to my parents' house. And um, after a few days, we just realized that we need to flee uh, Ukraine to make sure kids are safe. Because like this Anna, she felt like she felt very stressed being like going to shelters when we hear sirens. It's like it's hard to 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 share with you like uh, this like stress and horror you, you feel like you, you don't know what will happen tomorrow. And even though we were, we were kind of prepared, like nobody could imagine they will start bombing like capital, all the cities around, just not like military infrastructure, but regular residential buildings. So that's how our story started. And um, I managed my expectations badly. Uh, we struggled for the six weeks in a road, like driving like my kids through many countries, like we escaped through Moldova, then Romania, then Hungary, Hungary, Slovenia, Vienna, Austria. Because like I managed, like even though like I'm managing big programs, like understanding bigger picture, I managed my expectations badly because I was sure that it's like temporary, we will be out of the country for two weeks, I'll be back. And my kind of character is that I would prefer to be on the ground with my people, you know, like during the Revolution of Dignity and, and fight back. But um, as I mentioned to Aled before, like for me that like big inside was reinventing what does it mean to be a mother. Because you cannot be in Kyiv and fight with like whatever, try to learn how to shoot and uh, fight back when you're a mother of three especially. And um, it took time to accept that, like, I need to take care of them first, and, uh, and, then, and then all other things. So I think that, that's how it started. And as you were traveling country to country, trying to find a place for your children, and, and a school, and a place to live, and how do you pay the rent, and all of that, you were constantly in touch through secure communications and others, not just with your husband, but with colleagues, we should mention that uh, the other women uh, who work for Aspen Institute Kiev, uh, I, th I think at one point at least all were able to leave the country, maybe one or more back now, but even during your peripatetic exile, you were interrupted by horror. Yeah. Uh, again and again, and I, I remember when you first told me about the situation of your young colleague whom I know, uh, uh, Natalia. Can you just tell us about that? Yes, I'll try not to be emotional, but uh, yeah, when we were staying with kids in a car for in this like eight, 10 year, uh, hours um, lines in a border, so like I was uh, working all the time because of the community we have, uh, Aspen community in Ukraine, we have Minister of Defense, Asala Aurlamni, Vice Prime Minister of European Integration, top entrepreneurs, civil, civil society activists. So just connecting the dots like, and re responding to the challenges was like like full-time job. So we were working like first month and a half 
like really 24-7. We were not able to sleep. We were working on this adrenaline. Uh, it was good because we had no time to reflect, to be depressed, like, uh, or uh, like uh, somehow like demobilize. Um, and like when we were standing on the line, my colleague, Natalie, she called me and she started like calmly, but then she started to cry like, Yulia, I know you know everyone in this country. I need your help, you know, I need your help. I need to go back to my home city of Volnovakha because my mom was killed there and I, I need to bury her. And she started crying and I was like, and I was not taught how to react to this like kind of requests like in my life. And uh, of course I understand that it's impossible because the city is occupied. And then like, like in, in, in next three days, the city was demolished fully. Like 93% of the city is like, doesn't exist. After Russians were not able to, 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 to win the city on the nurse, they just bombed it, destroyed it completely. So her father spent four days uh, sitting near a single uh, remaining wall in Volnovakha, wounded, while her mom was killed. I will not tell you details how, and uh, yeah, that's a challenge. That's a task you need to handle. And like, I, I was, I was crying. I was driving, and I was calling other people. Like, is there like still understanding mentally that like you cannot be there? Like, it's occupied. You cannot open the window, whatever you call it. And the key task is to evacuate the father and save the father at least. Uh, so th th that kind of things, it's really, it's it's so painful because it's civilians who struggle a lot and uh, we managed after like five or six days of trial to evacuate the father. He was, uh, uh, he, he had a surgery in Dnipro, Dnipro city and uh, then we evacuated them to Germany where he had a treatment. But you can imagine like she driving him for like, I don't know, 25 hours and her, her father was repeatedly tell her the story how her mom was, was killed because of the stress and this PTSR like effect he, he, he got. So, and that's just the only story like of many. Well, I, I you know, and, and, and we can't tell too many of them, um, but I, 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 I saw Yulia uh, uh, at where she is now in safe temporary exile and we, while we were talking, she looked down at her phone and showed me a picture of a very close friend, a Ukrainian friend, not wearing a traditional shirt like this, but in camouflage, uh, like many other men. You know, they can't wear the traditional dress. Yuli gave me this shirt at their Ideas Festival in Odessa, and may we be back in Odessa soon. Uh, but she looked down and, and, and looked up at me and said, he was killed today. And so these kinds of things, they happen and, and then many of you probably saw the article in the New York Times the other day about a, a, a young man in Lviv who died and an incredibly poignant story about the mother sin, singing a lullaby at his funeral. And yeah. a friend. Yeah, that, that's a friend. Actually, this Artemi. He was staying with us in our, like, my parents' uh, summer house in Crimea. Now part of... Occupied in 2014. And uh, this prominent guy, Artem, he was in US when the war started. And it was not an option to him to remain safely here. And like he was, he was like entrepreneurial, like very, very bright guy. And he came back and he joined an army immediately. And he was killed in Don Donbass. And you know, like 
like uh, it's really it's just impossible to to see these pictures when you have 27 years old and her mom like singing lullaby in a funeral and you know that these guys are like well educated they travel the world they uh, they've written like a lot of books we are yeah, all of us reading um, he, he, he read uh, like Antigone uh, one day because I discussed with him like in one occasion like uh, the whole drama of that and, and he, he, he's, he's not alive anymore and it's just a one story but we have like the stories every day we have like prominent photographer Mark Levin who was just killed and tortured a journalist uh, in Bucha because he is a journalist and he was like uh, really, like capturing what's going, what's, what, what was going on there and like my husband, he founded Ukrainian Leadership Academy, a gap year educational program for young, lead, like, young students after high school to have a gap year to better like, learn about themselves, to discover the country, discover like European Union, uh, they regularly were going to Israel to learn about their innovations uh, culture. So four of his students were killed 20, 24 years old just because they stood up, they joined military, because, like we at Aspen, we know that like more than anyone else, uh, that values is about actions. And it's hard to accept, even for me after four months of war, that you need sometimes to like take arms and go and fight for your values. It's not declarations. And that's what this like, young, young, young boys were doing. Like, and uh, it, it, it's incredibly painful. It's like, you mentioned Bucha, we've all been reading about that and we're all hoping that, that evidence is being collected that will prove the existence of these war crimes and the stories are beyond comprehension. You know, you know young girls gang raped and I read you know, one of them you know, makes, makes it to Poland where psychologists, because of the state of abortion in, in that country, we won't talk about this country now, uh, and and what, what what did the psychologist tell this young woman? Uh, like for me, it's really very hard to talk about this like raping and uh, like uh, as much as you was shocked. Like like Bucha is very close to Kiev. Like my my team member, he lives there, and it's like it's just next door. And uh, you know we were so shocked by all these stories. But I was much more shocked uh, than when our security service like captured these phone calls of Russian soldier calling her wife in Crimea and telling her like what's going on and when you know we are here raping Ukrainian women she said oh yes you should do it just do it but don't tell me that and that was like really like hard to imagine and uh, especially what we were doing like during this first weeks of of of, of war it was like very unexpected tasks. I, I could, I, I, I could, I, I was not able to imagine I'll do that. So, like on the day three, we were gathering hackers uh, who will be able to defend our infrastructure and attack Russian like infrastructure. Uh, like day five, we were, uh, we received requests from the government that there is shortage of food in some cities. So we were connecting with Ukrainian entrepreneurs, and uh, my friend called me like, "Yule, we have 500 tons of chicken." Uh, <laughs> Let, like where to deliver it, and I called another person in the government. And said like, so I have a lot of tons of chicken. What should I do with that? And uh, I feel like okay, I need to solve like this logistic question with this chicken. 
Then like another trustee called me like, Yulia, I have a few veterans of French Legion who would like to go and fight in Ukraine. I said, okay, why not? Let's think how we legally could construct the system. Um, challenging, uh, challenging task. But why I'm mentioning that, one of the key priority which we were doing was uh, some media connected Aspen alumni in Ukraine. So during first two, three weeks in, of war, we were trying to do media campaigns to reach out to Russians. So we, we, we engaged like singers, celebrities, bloggers, you know, Instagram, millions of followers who are like well known in, you know, in Ukraine and Russia because you know, our Ukrainian identity is quite inclusive. Like what we see, like we have very diverse population in Ukraine, different religions, different languages, different like political views, so like normal democracy. So we were trying to use this influencers to reach out to like regular Russians and let them know what's going on. Like guys, like, like it's against human like values, like normal, like whatever values and uh, like show them what's the cruel war is it. And you know, after two weeks of hard attempts, like doing different kind of things, approaching, addressing, showing pictures, trying to like, like it led to nothing. Our idea was if we have like a few millions of Russians uh, protesting again against war in a, like a main square of Moscow, that will definitely make some difference. But it led to nothing. And this like conclusion, it was so like frustrating. And then having the story of this raping and when a wife, because there's two, two guys, a soldier and his woman, they were identified. We know who are them, we know where they live. That's what our journalist made. And even like this soldier is taking drugs or whatever, but what's wrong with this lady who's a mom of two? What's wrong with the culture? Like, and th that's very hard to accept. And uh, like, that's why uh, for us, uh, this war is an uh, existential war. It's a war for our existence. And uh, we are courageous and we fight back that hard because we understand what we are fighting for. You mentioned a trustee and uh, uh, all of the trustees, whether in the country or out, have been doing their own to, to support the effort. Uh, tell, us, tell us about Andre, oh, yeah. Andre, Andre and his and his house. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. I I like the story a lot because uh, I have one uh, trustee who is actually owner of the biggest uh, port in Ukraine, who you understand has a lot of troubles now, and uh, yeah, I see you see this that Ukrainian designer made this uh, how you call it spile scale uh, like uh, from what grain scales scales yeah so. He owns a house which is in um, like near the Kiev, beautiful house, great location. And one day he found out through video, like uh, he was security in Switzerland. Security system. Yes, a security system that a military, Russian military based uh, base uh, happened to be in his own house, which he owns near Kiev. Probably imagine, to turn it into a place to bomb the yeah. city from. Yeah. So can you imagine, like, what will you do? Like, you have your nice, great, like, private house. You, like, invested a lot. It's a beautiful location. And then you found out that Russians are, are bombing, like, Kiev from that house because it's really a nice location, good observation point. What will you do? So what he did, 
he called Security Service and Defense Ministry and he said, like, that's the GPS uh, coordinates uh, where they are located. Uh, you just need to shoot down and bomb it. And so we make sure that Russians are not bombing our city anymore. So, so he, he, he phoned in the GPS coordinates of his own house to have it destroyed. To have it destroyed? <laughs> and you know, in each stage, like, uh, in each stage, every person feels like that he or she is contributing everything he or she can to win this war, to defend our land, to defend our freedom. And like, like there are, you know, one of the good uh, signs of this war is our sense of humor, because we have a lot of, lot of pictures with uh, like trying to, to have humor in, 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 in this very hard, difficult times, because that's, that's what helps us to, to, to survive. Because it's like the challenging we are facing every day, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's, 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 still hard, it's still hard to, 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 to accept it. It's surreal. Just a couple more questions before I'm going to let others ask questions. Uh, what, what do you tell Marco now? He's, he's six, he's able to understand some things. How, what does he, how, what, how does he think about this? How does he think about his father, whom he probably can't even talk to very often because of security of communications? He's now in the armed services. What, what is in his mind? Oh, good question, <laughs> hard question. Because when we left with kids uh, Ukraine, and uh, this middle, uh, like my middle Anna, she was crying each evening, like she don't want our, like her father to be killed. I was keep repeating her like, look Anna, your father is not a soldier. He'll not be killed. He managed big volunteering organization. He'll not be killed. And now he is a soldier. So it's uh, quite of difficult to, to explain them what's going on. And um, uh, yeah, that, like my husband, he decided to join an army and as many men of Ukraine. And he made it voluntarily. He, had, he was not pushed to do that. Just because uh, out of love to the country, to the values, you know. And um, each Ukrainian, after war started, we felt it very personal. Because it's like we understand that Putin will not stop. He just saying Ukraine shouldn't exist, but we are, we exist, we develop, we, we have big ideas, we want to build a good society in this earth, we want to change this world for the better place. And we will not allow one person to, to, to decide whether a nation should exist or not. That's why like, it's personal for each of us. I don't know whether we have already like, all legal, legal conditions to call it genocide, but that's how we feel it. It's about me, it's about my kids, it's about my neighbors, my parents, and all other like 40 million of Ukrainians. And I think like some friends, like international, oh, how you allowed your husband to go and fight, like you have three small kids, like, and it's a war, you never know what will happen. And like, for me, it's, it's not an issue, it's hard, especially when I saw him for a few hours before, before he joined in Davos, and it was like, you just don't understand when you'll see him again, whether you'll like, whatever happens. And you don't know how to explain it to kids. And uh, uh, it, it was hard. I, I decided not to tell them uh, like the whole story. But one morning, um, I'm staying with my friend, uh, Sarah. She's a very nice and generous person, like, like uh, helping us a lot in the UK. And uh, like, the support is enormous. And one morning, I, I saw Anna, this like, very sensitive girl. She, she talked to the Sarah. She's like, Sarah with British accent, you know, uh, which I don't have, but they, after two months, uh, kind of trying to copy. 
Sarah, you know, my daddy is soldiers, <laughs> Ukrainian soldiers. And she was, she was not crying anymore. She was so proud of him. And for me, like, I cried a bit um, because, like, we cannot imagine, like, that in 21st century we need to learn everything about arms. I need to be here and ask you to call your representatives and ask them for more weapons for Ukraine because sometimes you just need to fight evil. You just need, like, help good prevail by taking guns. And you know, we, we were raised on Western philosophy. We live life for peace. And now you're like, you, we need to fight for this peace. And that's one story which really touched me yesterday because like a big like uh, happy moment. I spoke to my husband yesterday for 15 minutes and I shared the story with Ambassador uh, Taylor this morning. Like, and he, he, he shared that he, his comrades uh, delegated him yesterday to go, I don't know where he's located, but he is somewhere in, on the east. Uh, to go to the shop and to grocery and buy some things. So, of course, he was like in old uniform, ammunition with arms, with a driver who picked him to the shop and he was staying in the line and he heard like somebody like put his hand on his shoulder and he like turned around and he saw a big like massive man and he said like, and he took his hand and he gave to him and something like was in the hand. And he see it's like 200 U Ukrainian hryvnias, which is like $10 or less. And he said, like, you should take it, this guy, to, to my husband, you, you should take it and buy something for you and your comrades. And he said, like, oh, I have no need, like, thank you so much, it's so kind of you. And he said, like, I'm a minor. I have a very big pension. <laughs> you should buy something. He's like, no, no, really. And you see, like, this, and he started crying. This massive guy. And minors in Ukraine have very bad pension. And this $10 for him is, like, it's a big, big money for him. And he just felt that he wanted to contribute. And, and my husband, he's like, I had tears in my eyes. And that, that's the whole spirit, that's the whole resilience. Because we understand that's the war of existence. And because we know why we are fighting for, we fight for values, we prove it by actions, that values are not declarations, are our actions, that's why we will win. With your support, of course. Uh, that's uh, another question. It's so important. Um, so, one one last question before any from the audience to maybe move from a different kind of emotion from sadness to maybe just fury. What is your reaction of of you and your colleagues when when Mr. Putin says Ukraine is not a real country and is just a bunch of Nazis? <sighs> That's a good case of propaganda, and uh, like as one historian, Hrtsak, um, our board member, he also mentioned like the the, the biggest like big big victim of war is uh, truth, historical truth, and it's it's so important to like one of the things each of us can do is just to learn more about like Ukraine, to read Tim Snyder, like Anne Applebaum, who are writing a lot about Ukrainian uh, like Ukrainian history, which is like uh, like a long long history. And uh, yes, I mentioned, he, he, he just uh, like saying we shouldn't exist. He is saying that the like, Soviet Union should be uh, like built again. And uh, like one insane man shouldn't like influence uh, the world order. And uh, that's why we like, we feel and we are so grateful to Western democracies who express enormous solidarity 
because we feel we are part of this democratic values, uh, and uh, we are, we will fight back for that. And like uh, for us, like this first two three weeks of media campaigning, reaching for for Russians to 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 stand up, it, it was also like frustrating because we were we were thinking it's about one person and uh, like some people ask me, oh, if Putin like dies, what will happen? Will it help? Like, not really. That, that's, maybe that's a brainwashed country. Maybe it's a propaganda, of course. But now it's not a time to, 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 to think about like why they are where, where they are. Now we just need to fight back. We need to defend our country. We need to revitalize. We don't like words we build because we don't want to rebuild Soviet infrastructure. We want to build new, innovative, green, sustainable infrastructure, new Ukraine, innovative Ukraine. And then maybe we will think about some good Russians or like about like uh, how we could help them. But I think it's just not a time for that. Right. All right, I'm going to open it up to, to questions. And by the way, uh, well, we don't have these traditional shirts. And by the way, these are Aspen leaves on this, amazingly enough. We do have some things from Aspen Institute Kiev for sale right outside. All the proceeds go back to the Institute and to support their, their efforts there. Uh, so right here. Actually, let me start here, because Vivian, you've had a chance to talk to you here before. <laughs> so right here. Hi, well, thank you, first of all, so much for being here. My parents were born and raised in Ukraine in Mogilev Podolsky, so it's very meaningful to have you here. And, and as the first person to be born in New York City, which has a thriving Ukrainian population, it's been really frustrating for me to see how difficult it's been for displaced Ukrainians to get access to housing, to get access to food, legal services, integrating kids into our education system. So I was just wondering what your reflections have been on the refugee resettlement process to all those countries that have opened up their borders to Ukrainians. Should I respond now? Yeah, I've, I felt like uh, so blessed. Like, uh, like the whole Europe is, was so united and uh, they're so helpful uh, in all this process. Like, you know, um, my mom was with me for the first week or so. I had one conference I flew to speak and then she came back to, to, to Lviv and she started to work with refugees internally to displace uh, people because she's a therapist and she was working in these refugee camps. But like when I was uh, letting her go back to, uh, to Lviv, to Ukraine, uh, I stuck in the Budapest railway station and I like stuck for a few hours volunteering, trying like helping Ukrainians uh, to translate and help them find tickets where they would like to go. And it like, it was terrifying seeing people with one plastic bag and like two kids who came from Mykolaiv, her son, occupied cities like Mariupol, those times, they had nothing. At the same time, they were so welcomed by European neighbors. They were so like friendly, like greeted. And uh, you know, the feeling I have that we will do the same to, to, to anyone. And we don't like wish anyone to have such terrible and cruel situation, but we will definitely do the same. Uh, but like the, the whole past, we don't have time, like, but like there are so many things which were happening like every day. But uh, my like the six, six, uh, six weeks driving, we changed 13 places where we were staying because we were not able to find apartment especially with three kids, but mainly like because I managed my expectations badly and I said it like for two weeks, we can survive with kids uh, like in a hotel for two weeks, of course, but 
then you realize that how many things we are taking for granted, like washing machine. Who cares about washing machine in our times? But when you have three kids, hotel room, uh, no washing machine, you need to wash, like, and kids, of course, are daddy after, like, two hours, and you need to, like, wash it, you need to dry it somewhere, and it's, like, such a basic thing, and like, you can handle it. And, like, my case was, I, like, I booked a hotel for three days, I was sure I will pay whatever money, I will find an apartment to stay. But no, no apartments. And then I came to the reception and I said, like, uh, we need extra three nights. He's like, sorry, we are overbooked by Ukrainians. And you need to pack all of everything. You pack it and you go to another place. So it, it, it was really like difficult, difficult, uh, difficult time. But also it was good like for, you know, reinventing like many things. Like how many things like in our normal life we take for granted and uh, we are not grateful for. And just when you lose like this, this thing, you understand what, what is it. Question to the gentleman in the middle, please. Uh, do we need a microphone runner? Yeah, please, because we are recording this. I don't know how much real-time information you're getting out of Ukraine. I know you know about the bombing of the supermarket and people were killed. Yes. Uh, but coming out of the G7, it's now been announced that we're going to provide the Iron Dome, as we have at the White House, a missile defense in Kiev. I don't know if we have pre-trained Kiev soldiers how to use it. I don't know when it will arrive, when it will be operational. I don't know how much of Kiev would be under, quote, the Iron Dome, the anti-missile missile defense. Uh, that could be a small game changer, maybe. Are you hearing anything real time and how it's affecting uh, the mood in Kiev and, and maybe the safety of some people? It, it may be a ways off before it gets there. I don't know. Yes, um, that's a good question. Like, we hear about bombing is happening, like, every day. Like, Kiev was, uh, like, my close friend house was, a residential building was bombed, like, two days ago. And, you know, like, like for me, like, I'm, really, I'm, I'm living in two realities. I'm in war reality all the time, and I'm in this beautiful paradise here, and it's, it's quite, I think, bad for was mental that, health. Was that the same building where there was a story about yes. a, a, seven, a seven month old waking up and finding, although not consciously, dead father? Yes, that's the same story. I know this guy, he, he, he's, a, he's a husband of uh, like our like, friend, and yeah, so it's happening every day. Uh, could it, like, people of Ukraine really rely on international support? We see this belonging and we see the solidarity. And that's why we are keep asking for more weapons. We don't want, like, Americans go and, like, die in our earth. We, will, we, we are dying for this freedom. We are fighting back, but we need something to fight with. And when we have now, like, 1 to 30 ammunition, like, uh, compared to Russians, it's really hard to fight back. That's why we need weapon. That's why we need like. That's why we were campaigning uh, to close the sky. Just uh, like what we were asking for, and uh, it, like we feel optimistic. We are full of hope, despite a lot of pessimism around the world. We are not ready, and we will not accept a, a long-term like forever war. We will fight back. We will win. We will prevail, but only with the help of international community, and only like and this help could be like first of all weapons, 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 military support, then sanctions and all other things. Uh, yes, 
Gordon. Looking forward, the European Union has started uh, offering membership to Ukraine. Uh, but one of the things and one of the concerns is corruption prior to, you know, being admitted. London Financial Times talked about this oligarch Komoski, who was this bank banker and supposedly stole a lot of money out of the banks. And supposedly he had a big influence or still has a big influence on Zelensky. Are you concerned about the oligarchs still there having an influence on the government which would inhibit the EU from admitting Ukraine? Uh, thank you for your question. Um, I think actually fighting off the corruption is one of the reasons why Putin invaded and why Putin is so angry. Because we made a huge progress. And we, what we are doing and what we are desired to do to build institutions, which were like strong institutions, that's a, that's a base of democracy. And we do, we've done big, big progress. We established like uh, anti-corruption uh, court. We established really powerful because I know these people like in person. I like a lot of them are our alumni. Like we're uh, national agency of uh, corruption prevention. And like even though some of these people were like close to the president's administration, they had a very tough times with president's administrations because they don't care because we understand that we want to build Ukraine without corruption. And because we made a significant, and here I'm absolutely certain, progress in this regard, that, that's, a, that's a, big, a big story which triggered Russians, which are like, still like, fully, fully corrupted. And also, like, why Putin was not able to have Kiev in two days, as he pretended? He spent a lot of money corrupting like, some politicians in Ukraine. But it, it was not working. Because we are different and we are doing progress. And yes, we still have problems. Yes, we do like work a lot and we will do a lot to change it and to build a transparent democratic Ukraine with strong institutions which will be not dependent on any oligarch, Kolomoisky, uh, like uh, some others we have. Like, uh, absolutely. So it's a progress and I think like the importance of this candidacy status, which we, we ex, like, received, and, and it's, it's very symbolic, and it was a long pass, is, like, is an award for people, because 94% like, of people are united in choosing Western democratic European values, which, and there is no corruption there, and people will not tolerate any corruption afterwards, because we paid such a huge, we are paying such a huge price for this new Ukraine we are fighting for. And you know, for us, it's the most painful thing because each person we lose in this war, it's a vacuum of the society. That's our best people. That's our best people. I have a Supreme Court alumni who is fighting on the ground. I have my moderator, prominent philosopher, Anton Drobovich, who, who left everything and who joined uh, territorial defense. And he's in, from Tranches, Tranches. He is uh, still uh, joining our Aspen international events and telling like, his motivation, why he's fighting. And we have like, many other stories like that. And each loss, it's uh, like, we highly, like, the most valuable thing is human life. And we are paying this price, so we will not tolerate this corruption uh, in the future for sure. And we are so much passionate to build the strong institutions and uh, to ruin this uh, ugly image of uh, corruption, which you mentioned. We have one last quick question. <laughs> uh, wait, wait, the microphone. 
your story is heart-rendering and your courage and uh, this story is just um, incredibly inspiring. Your, your, your comment about what was the re Russian reaction is concerning, however. How, how do we get to the Russian people? How do they allow this to happen? It's through the fog of misinformation. What happened to Radio Free Europe or whatever the hell it was we were using to get into the eastern countries? How do we get through this misinformation veil to get to the people? The people of Russia have to change this. My answer is very simple and short. I don't know. We tried so many things like during the beginning of the war. And like my, my position, like I have some very good Russian friends I, I really love, like, but I keep repeating them that they are responsible for what's going on now. They are all responsible because that's how democracy works. And I don't know how to, how, how to change this, but I think it's not an issue now. We need to win the war first. We need to renew Ukraine uh, first. And then we will think how to, uh, to help them to, to raise awareness and like, develop critical thinking. But it's, you know, the investments, and we will talk with Vivian uh, later like on Wednesday on this propaganda issue. The, in, the, the amount of money they invested in propaganda is massive. And you know, like, uh, I know this, like, like proved cases when they were corrupting small hotels in Latin America, just letting Russia today be on top five, ten channels in the hotels so they can trust, like, like, like keep repeating these propaganda channels. And then we have a, a, like, a, an event with Aspen Mexico, our, like, uh, like, nice fellows, our partners, and somebody is asking, like, it's a leadership community asking us, like, Yule, whether it's true that Azov was doing a genocide in Donbass for eight years. I said, like, you know, breathe in, breath out, and then you, like, talk that that's how propaganda is working. It never happened. But the influence, they, they, like, it, it, it's massive. And that's why we need to unite all together to fight this back, because it's not just about Ukraine. It's not about like even Europe. It's about like freedom of this world, values of this world. <clears throat> well, uh, we, we, we could listen to you for many more hours and I, I think all we'll say is that we, you know, you were fighting for all of us and we thank you and uh, thank all of you for being here and please share these messages yeah. with all Yeah, and your one friends. more thing. I would really love each of you after this session and just go out of this session and do something to help Ukraine to win. Mm -hmm. I really ask you for standing with Ukraine, calling your representatives, donating to Ukrainian organizations, um, doing like asking for more sanctions. Just help us to win this war for this war uh, sooner and pay not that big price and uh, to win all of us together. Thank you for standing with us and please fight back with us. Yulia Tushkivska is the executive director of Aspen Institute Kyiv. A civic activist in Ukraine, she helped found the Bendukitsa Free Market Center, a Ukrainian think tank, an open university of Maidan, an online platform for civics education. In 2018, she was included in Forbes 30 under 30 Europe list. Tushkivska was interviewed by Elliot Gerson, Executive Vice President of the Aspen Institute. Make sure to subscribe to Aspen Ideas to Go wherever you're listening. Follow Aspen Ideas year-round on social media at Aspen Ideas. 
Today's show was programmed by the Aspen Ideas Festival team and produced by Natalie Jones and me. Our music is by Wonderly. I'm Trisha Johnson. Thanks for listening. Thank you.